To the Clemson podcast. It is Monday, April 1st, which means this is when I tell you that Clemson is heading to the Final Four. Brad Brownell is front runner for Coach of the Year honors, and he just received a 10 year contract extension. And so now, with the obligatory lies out of the way, Ben and Sam here with you today uh, to recap the basketball season, a disappointing one at that. We'll hand out some awards. Um, that should be a short segment. Discuss Brad Brownell's future and look ahead to next year. We'll also touch a little bit on the baseball team who has come to life here in the past couple weeks as the young uh, guys are really starting to grow up, hit the ball well. They've been pitching well all year long. So some exciting things looking uh, to be in their future. But Sam, with basketball over, now it's officially uh, spring football season. we got the spring game coming up next uh, weekend. You excited? Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, always happy to see football get going. Uh, I think you broke my heart a little bit with that intro. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to recover. We'll see how I do throughout the rest of the episode. Uh, but yeah, definitely excited to see football back, especially after the disappointing finish to our basketball season. Yeah, some sad news coming out that Amari Rogers looks like he's lost at least for an extended period of time, whether or not he's able to make it back um, for any type of postseason play. Um, similar to how Skalski did last year. That remains to be seen, but we wish him the best and uh, hope for a speedy and full recovery there. Um, but, you know, if you're going to take a hit in any position on the Clemson football team and feel okay about it, it's the wide receiver core. Absolutely. I mean, the depth is ridiculous. Um, we're going to be able to recover from that, but he really was far and away the best slot receiver that we had. Um and it'll be interesting to see who steps up to take that role. If it's one of the freshmen or if it's uh, guys like Deandre Overton or others who've been rumored to be taking snaps there. Darian Kendrick's a guy who could fit in there and just an intriguing storyline with him moving over to play cornerback uh, with some injuries there and talk about him playing both ways. That's a pretty exciting prospect for next season. And Hey, you know, when you're good, when you're as good as uh, the Clemson football team has been over the last several years, and you're pretty much expected to go to to participate in the college football playoff every year. You have to go into the season like looking for these these things to be excited about, things that you haven't seen before. And I think that certainly that's one of them. Um, but with spring game coming up next weekend, we will be back probably the week following that. Let uh, some of the jur- journalism come out and let everybody digest it. And then we're playing on a four-man pod, hopefully, to recap the spring game and talk a little bit about the storylines coming out of that and looking ahead to the football season next year. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. 
Um, but in the meantime, we're going to talk basketball. We're going to wrap up this college basketball season. So let's get into it. Okay, Sam, because it's not quite as exciting before we get into talking about Clemson basketball, let's talk about the NCAA tournament so far. I must admit, you know, not having a lot of upsets in the first two rounds made it a little bit less than exciting on the first weekend of games. But man, this past weekend, the Sweet 16 and the, and the Elite Eight, we really saw um, the benefit of having all those high seeds win, win, those high seeds win because we got some incredible games. It was out of control. Um, some of the best sweet 16 and elite eight games that I've ever seen. Uh, obviously the elite eight had two overtime games. You had a bunch of last second finishes in both rounds and, uh, you know, I'm positioned to potentially win my office pool now, uh, cause I picked Michigan state over Duke and nobody else did. So, um, I'm happy with the way it turned out, but I'm more happy with the quality of the basketball. It was just a bunch of really good teams going at each other. Yeah, and I had Duke winning it all, so they screwed me. It's not the first time that's happened, but, um, you know, F you, Duke. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Just more so fodder. Many, what's that? Just more fodder to hate Duke. Exactly. Um, for me to hate Cody. Um, so, yeah, so many close games, and you had the overtime games that it's even hard for me to remember, as we were talking about them today at work, exactly what happened in what game, because they all stood out, right? There was no yeah. one that shone over the other, so – and I think for me, bottom line is from the products that I saw on the court, there is no way Clemson deserved to be in the field of uh, 68. You know, I, I think certainly the way that our season ended and the way that um, some of the lower seeds performed, I would have to agree with that. Uh, I think we could have competed had we gotten in. Uh, we would have been with Shelton Mitchell, who did not play in the NIT due to his knee. Um but, you know, we, we just didn't earn it. We gave the committee the opportunity to shut us out of the tournament, and they took it. Well, the strength thing is, is that North Carolina State didn't make the tournament. So even if we had beaten them in that ACC tournament game, which we'll talk about here shortly, I'm still not sure we get in because NC State beat us twice, had a better record, um, tied us in conference, had a better overall record, and then, of course, had the win in the ACC tournament. So I'm shocked they didn't get in. Yeah, I was definitely surprised by that. Um, but you know, it was uh it was a weak year for the bubble, so fewer bubble teams got in. And um they did kind of the same thing that we did. They ended their season on a twenty plus point loss to Virginia in the ACC tournament. They barely beat a crappy Clemson team and uh, you know, gave themselves too much gave the committee too much wiggle room to potentially keep them out, and they did. Well, listen, I mean, I think it's a bit unfair to call us a crappy team. We did finish 500 in the ACC, which in many years can get you into the tournament. I think, unfortunately, Absolutely. this year, our non-conference schedule hurt us, uh, or lack of wins, lack of marquee wins, really, is is what hurt us, and we'll talk about that here. But um, we last checked in right before the ACC tournament, so let's rewind a little bit, touch on that, and then we'll move into the two NIT games. Um but I think the big storyline coming out of the NC State game is obviously the fouls and the, the officiating in that game. And not to use that as an excuse, but I think it did have uh, some sort of effect on that game. Is, you know, Clemson got off to a hot, hot start, building a lead as high as 18 points in the first half. They went into the half up 16, and you get the feeling, man, they're, they're playing well, they're hitting shots. But um, I was traveling. I was in the car, so I was listening to you on radio, but... 
about four minutes or so left in the first half, even though we had a big league, you test texted me about how the tide of the game was turning with the offici- officiating and that you were pretty concerned. And as it turns out, that was a valid concern. Yeah. Um, I think it was kind of a, a vintage Ted Valentine, uh, refing experience watching that game uh and you hate to blame the refs uh uh, and they didn't cost us the game we missed a million shots and and played poorly in the second half by ourselves but you know the refs did so much to get our players in foul trouble and give nc state opportunities and you know i'm not saying there's any point shaving or fixing or any of that kind of stuff i it's just a poorly officiated game but uh the the end of the first half and the end of the second half were horribly marred by bad calls on going both directions. And it just so happened that a few more went against us than went for us. And the ones in the key moment at the very end of the game were obviously uh, against us and ended up costing us the, the end of the game. Yeah. So really the turning points um, at the 541 mark in the, in the first um, over the course of the next several minutes, maybe heading into the second, Ted Valentine called five fouls on Clemson. Yeah. Um, fortunately, at the end of the first, North Carolina State's offense was still in a rut, so they weren't really able to make up uh, make up any ground. Again, I mentioned that we uh, went into the half up 16 points, but what it did, it just got this Clemson team out of rhythm. And, you know, that's not something that this Clemson offense at least can afford because they're really not that good. No, we, we definitely need the rhythm. And the foul trouble was on both ends of the court. They called stuff on um, back-to-back on Amir Sims, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, around that five-minute mark that really just killed the entire flow of the offense. And, uh, yeah, he got one called at 528 left in the half and one called at 522 left in the half, neither of which were real fouls. And um, it just kind of completely just shut down the flow of the game um, and it, it, it ruined the momentum for us. And despite going into the half with a 16 point lead, it, uh, it was not good for us. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, we were still hanging on to a 14 point lead five minutes into the second half. Um, but then we just scored two points over the next 11 minutes. And that's been Clemson's problem all year is these long extended scoring droughts that lets teams get back in it or pull way ahead. Um, so again, that, comes back to bite us in the butt you know eventually we were able to retake the lead 58 to 57 with three minutes and 43 seconds left in the game Um, at that point both teams went scoreless for the remainder of the game and so that questionable call on Clyde trap there with three seconds left allowed North Carolina State to go ahead by one Um, and then finally uh, Reed's desperation three from about half court was too long and uh, Clemson lost another heartbreaker. So, you know, again, it's the same storyline all year. Not able to pull it through in the clutch at the end, the long extended scoring droughts. But, man, the, the foul calls really uh, added uh, insult to injury in, in this one. That I mean, what did you think about that last foul call on on Clyde Trap? Maybe at the very least it wasn't a shooting foul? No, it, it 100% wasn't a shooting foul. And the refs knew that we were – trying to, we so we had like three or four fouls uh with about 40 seconds to go and started using them to kind of cut down on time and give nc state a shorter clock to work with which is up for debate on whether or not that was the right move anyway uh but we were clearly taking fouls and we had one more to give and there were about four seconds left and Clyde Trap went out to give that foul on markel johnson at the top of the key um 
generally didn't. he didn't, but generally when refs know that you're giving fouls, you barely have to touch anyone to give the foul. Uh, and it was clear we'd given two in the last 10 seconds. Uh, it was clear what he was trying to do and they let him go. And then Clyde still trying to take the foul continued to stay in contact with Johnson uh, who put up the shot and they called the shooting foul and he made his free throws. Um, so it was, uh, it was just poorly officiated. I, it was a foul on Clyde trap. Definitely. Uh, but it was just a really, it was apropos of the season, I think to end, uh, to end our chances at the NCAA tournament with a, with an ending like that. Yeah, well, and the irony of it all is us actually trying to foul for once and not getting the call at the appropriate time. Um, I mean, part of that is on Clyde Trapp. You really want to get out there and foul him before he starts driving the ball, Yep, uh, which he did not do. Um, and then, you know, just the call doesn't go our way, and that's kind of the story storyline of the year. But again, hey, if we win this game after NC State gets left out, I'm not so sure we get in. And if we do, I think we're out in the first round based off of how this team um, this really is kind of played all year long. Yeah. I mean, we would have been an 11, 12, 13 seed somewhere in there. Had we gotten into the tournament and I don't think we were strong enough to beat really any of the five and six seeds. So the, the fact that we didn't make it didn't make the season end on any brighter note. I don't think. No. Um, yeah, it's just, it's the offense and that that's the story of the year. I mean, listen, they only scored seven points over the last 15 minutes of that game. And that's not going to win you ball games. Yep. Absolutely. When you miss 16, I think it was 16 straight shots in that long stretch where we didn't score um, in the second half, you're going to lose games, right? You've got to be able to manufacture points, at least get to the free throw line, something. And we just, we couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, Reed had a good game, 16 points, 10 rebounds, a double, double to go along with six assists. Elijah Thomas, only playing 18 minutes as he fouled out, only had eight points, but he also had six yeah. turnovers. Eli had a stinker of a game. It was probably yeah, not, his worst performance of the season. Not his best. Um, Sims actually showed up in the in the scorebook with 11, and then there's uh, Shelton Mitchell, six points on two of 12 shooting. It's kind of um, indicative of you know what we've you know that's what we've come to expect of him this year. Yep, um, inefficient shooting percentage shooting night uh, when guys like Scara Sims and Eli were combined to shoot over 50% for the game. Uh, Marquise Reed was the only one who was able to create anything. So his 18 shots, five of 18, again, not very efficient, but he was four for seven from three, which is really good for him and for anybody. Uh, He was doing other things, right? He had six assists, 10 rebounds. The shots are excusable from Marquise's side. Shelton Mitchell had six points and five rebounds two assists in 35 minutes. Uh, and he just, he's not, you know, a, a defensive pro, like he's not shutting people down either. He's just not really contributing much in this game. Uh, and it, it cost us. No. And we'll talk about his injury that came out and what effect that may have had on the season here in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, th- the way this all ended up is it just reminded me of a uh, Jerron Blossom game team or KJ McDaniels when you just have one guy and no, nobody around him who, who can really, you know, be effective and yep. help them be more effective. Uh, so uh, at the end of the day, uh, the Tigers miss out on the NCAA tournament after advancing to the Sweet 16 last year. 
we did get a two seed in the NIT. And I, I think heading into the NIT, what I'm really looking for is does the team still play with effort? You know, you've got a bunch of seniors. Uh, Shelton Mitchell is ruled out for the tournament to help heal that ailing knee. Um, and so the first game against seven seed Wright State. The guys played tough. Uh, mm -hmm. Clemson got off to a quick start, ended up tied at halftime. It was back and forth for the rest of the game, but the, they ended up pulling it out, a six-point victory. Reed had 24 points. Uh, Trapp had 12 points on four of eight shooting. That was uh, good to see. He was two for three from three. John Newman came in with six off the bench and 21 minutes played. So the encouraging thing for me there is that the guys played hard. You could tell that they wanted to be there, and that tournament meant something to them that they wanted to win. Yeah, good performances from Eli and, and David Scar as well. Scar ended up with 16 and 9, uh, which is a really awesome game for him. Four, four of eight from three. Um, and they the effort was there, right? They didn't look good throughout the whole game. They looked good for, for stretches, and it was good enough to get past right state. Um, but it just... You know, you still, there were still weaknesses. Wright State is not a strong team. It's somebody we were expected to beat by about 10. It's we won Brad by Brownell's, six. It's Brad Brownell's old team. Exactly. It's got a little bit of extra meaning for Brownell, hopefully. Um, and we pulled out the win, uh, not in dominating fashion like we would have hoped, but it was a good victory. We haven't pulled off many wins in dominating fashion this year. So that's not wholly unexpected. Um, so anyways, we take the win in that game and you're like, all right, win three more and you've, you've won the NIT. Uh, so the next game up against six seed Wichita state. Now it's easy to, to kind of look at Wichita state as a six seed in the NIT and think, uh, maybe they're not that great a team, but the difference with them is, is they have a pedigree. They have a recent pedigree and they have a really good coach and Clemson just seemed to be, they kept it close, but it was really no match uh, for the shockers in this game. Uh, the Shockers took an eight point, uh, or sorry, took the lead eight minutes into the game and then led the rest of the way. Poor shooting really doomed the Tigers in this one. Um, and that's the end of the story, and that's the end of the season for the Tigers. Reed finishes his career with an 18 point game. Trap, after playing so well in the Wright State game, only six points on one eight shooting in this game. Yeah, this, this game was ugly for us. Uh, it was bad pretty much all the way around. Like you mentioned, the shooting was terrible. Uh, we ended up at 28% from the field for the game and 14% from three. We also shot uh, 31 free throws, which was pretty awesome, but we missed eight of them. So only 74%, which is good enough in college, but you'd hope for a little better. Um, but we only ended the game with six assists. Nobody had more than one. Uh, we got out-rebounded by Wichita State. And just there weren't really any strong performances from anyone. Uh, Javen White had a stretch of, up, of about five minutes in the first half where he looked really good. And Marquise Reed hit one or two shots. Uh, Reed was actually the only person to hit more than two field goals for us in the game. And it took him 20 attempts to hit five. So uh, we got most of our points off of free throws. Uh and it just, it was a really ugly effort. Yeah, so a disappointing end to the season, but one that is maybe quite fitting for what we saw all year long with this basketball team. Um, again, just very disappointing. So uh, with that, let's move on to recapping the 2018-19 season and uh, hand out some rewards. 
Okay, the Clemson Tigers finished 20 and 14 on the year, 9 and 9 in the ACC, which was good, uh, tied for eighth. So, I mean, usually you'd take that. A 20 win season, uh, top half of the ACC. But this was a disappointing season with the the four star or four guys coming back, including Amir Sims. So four of the starters are seniors played on the team last year. And then you have Amir Sims, who was a de facto starter kind of at the end of last year mm-hmm. uh, with the injury to Dante Grantham. You expect a lot more out of this team. I don't think any of us thought that losing Gabe DeVoe was going to hurt nearly as much as it did. I think part of that is the fact that when we lost Dante Grantham, we didn't seem to, to to lose much of a step, so you felt like at least the the other guys on the team were good enough to, to to allow us to bounce back this year. Now that being said, there wasn't really a lot of addition to this year's team um, in, in the off season. You bring on Javen White, you know he's not a game changer. I would say Mark Donald was more important to this basketball team than Javen White was this year. Um, none of the freshmen were extremely flashy. Uh, we had Amir Sims as our best freshman and contributor last year, again, playing starters minutes at the end of the season in Justice Freshman campaign. Um, A.J. Oliver leaves at the beginning of the year. I think yep. that's something that is not talked about enough. And then you've got the Shelton Mitchell injury, which we just kind of learned. I mean, we know he had the knee injury, whatever, a few years ago, but I think that really impacted this team this year. And I'm honestly, in hindsight, asking scratching my head why Clyde Trapp really wasn't playing more minutes. Yeah, I think uh last last year towards the end of the season they were really managing Shelton Mitchell's uh, minutes because of that knee injury and we didn't see really any minutes management uh see him sitting because he was hurt there was no talk of it at all so I'm loath to use it as an excuse for him. Um if he was good enough to play 30 35 minutes a game he was good enough to play 35 minutes a game and they can't use it as an excuse now. Um, I, you know, I'm not totally sure that the reason he sat out the NIT was because of the knee. Um, It's probably a combination of factors, but you know, he's at the end of his career. It's a disappointing outcome for the team. He is probably legitimately hurt. And I think all those things combined for him to, to say, you know what, coach, I'm not going to, I don't want to put myself through this, risk myself getting seriously injured. I could have a career internationally or in the G league or whatever. Uh, I want to try and recover and heal my knee up there's, there's and I'm not playing in the NIT. I don't see a G league future. I, it would take a lot of improvement, but international play, he's definitely, there are options out there, lower level leagues. He's not going to go play in Spain or anything. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of leagues out there. So he has a potential professional career playing basketball, at least for uh, some period of time. And I think he probably said or decided along with the coaches, it's not worth it for me to go out there and play in the NIT. Yeah, and I don't blame a kid for preserving their health. Um, no, that's, not at all. It's their livelihood. If he's trying to make a career out of it in any way, then I totally understand that. Um, but I will say it's not a good look for him moving forward that – his numbers regressed uh, throughout his tenure at Clemson, and it's all after that knee injury. So yep. I can't help but think that had to have had something to do with that, and it's really just disappointing for him more than anything else. Yeah, you, you never want to see a player's career affected heavily by by injury, so it, it's never good when that's really impacting his play or his minutes, uh, which it certainly did last year, and it, it may have affected his play this year as well. So. It's a, it's a bummer when that happens. 
Yeah, and then I mentioned A.J. Oliver leaving again. In hindsight, I think that was crucial, especially with the injury to Shelton Mitchell and the fact that we did not shoot very well from three behind the arc this year. Um, I would like to point out that uh, I think David Scar was our leading three-point shooter percentage-wise. He was. Um, <laughs> so how much of an impact did Oliver leaving have? Uh, you know, I don't think it was that big, honestly. He, he played... Um, like 10% of our minutes last year, he would have played probably at least 20 or 30 this year, something along the lines of uh, what Clyde Trapp did this year. Um, and he's not that good a three-point shooter, or at least wasn't last year either. He he would have been, he shot 35% last year almost from, from three. Uh, on really, like, really low volume. That's tied um, second on the team this year. So it would have been, he would have been better than some others, but, I, you know, he wouldn't have been out there hitting for a game for us or anything. Um, so it was definitely a loss, especially for depth at the guard position. Uh, we really had just three players at guard who were ready to play coming into the season in, in trap Mitchell and Marquise Reed. So that's really where it hurt us is the games where somebody was playing poorly or, you know, tweaked an ankle or got in foul trouble. We didn't have another guy who could step in and, and actually fill a role there. So we had to make adjustments and our other players didn't really step up and, and fill that void. So it was a loss, but it wouldn't have made a massive difference in the season. I don't think. Well, I think when you're talking about like the all hands on deck scenarios, um, remember Malik William did not play at all this yep. year. Um, so those are two scholarship guys that are gone for the, yep. for the season if, on a team that did not have a lot of depth coming in. So I can't help but think that all these things were a factor. Um, and listen, I, we know all the, the close last-second losses and, and all the bad luck and bad bounces. But listen, really good teams don't have extended periods of bad luck or all those instances of bad luck. I think when it comes down to is that Clemson was just not good enough to win those games. Yep, I agree. It's um, you create your own luck, right? And uh, this team couldn't create any positive luck for themselves at any point during the season. No, and after we bounced back after the NC State game, was able to shake that off. You beat um, a number eleven Virginia Tech team. You're hoping that you know that outcome of that game was not going to be a turning point um, going the wrong way for the season. But I think maybe now looking at hindsight. Uh, just kind of with the aggregate of the losses and the way they happen for the rest of the year, I do wonder if winning that game would have spelled a different outcome for the season. Yeah, I think there were a number of inflection points throughout the season that could have been a turning point. You know, we, we've talked about the close losses, of course. Uh, I think that North Carolina game, had we won it, would have been massive. That would have huge. That would have been enough to probably get us in the tournament, even with that NC State loss, because it's a marquee win against a team who was a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, if you get one or probably two or three of the other one to three point losses on the season, the Nebraska's um, or NC State the first time, or Miami uh, or Louisville, any of those wins helps the resume and helps boost morale. Um, it would have helped in the ACC tournament. We would have had a better seating, played somebody worse in the first uh, or second round. There's there's a lot of things that could have gone differently this season. But like you said, we didn't have the talent to make those those things happen. 
Yeah, I mean, there, it was bad luck with the Marquise Reed injury earlier in the year that cost us. Um, was he out for one or two? Uh, um, I think he losses. was just out for one. Did he play and in the change? One and change, I think. Okay. Did he play in the Mississippi State game? I can't quite remember. Uh, let me take a look. He did not. He did not. Yeah, Amir Sims was the the leading scorer in that game. Uh, he uh, had a great game that game. Yeah, <laughs> best game of the year. Wish he could have done that more often. Yes. Um, yeah. So it was really you know just all the quote unquote bad luck. But the fact of the matter is we just didn't beat good teams. Our best non-conference win was against Lipscomb, and the best conference win was against then number 11, Virginia Tech. Other than that, we beat no ranked teams um, and no other tourney teams, I believe. Uh, yeah, we had wins. Our best wins, like you said, were, well, we beat Syracuse. It was a tourney team. Oh, um, true. But other than that, like even the teams that we beat early in the season in non-conference, that uh, were pretty strong smaller conference teams like Lipscomb or um, Radford or Sam Houston State or North Carolina Central. Very few of them actually even lived up to the billing that they were supposed to have for this season. Um, Lipscomb, like you said, probably the best team that we played in non-conference that we beat. Um, and they ended up there in the NIT semifinals this week. Um, were they a one seed? They, I think, were a two. Two. Um, so they, you know, it was a strong team that we beat pretty well. Uh, it's one of the best performances we probably had on the season against a quality opponent. Um, but be- besides Lipscomb, they didn't even make the tournament, right? Um, they lost to Liberty in their conference tournament championship. And it just, we didn't really have anything solidify into a quality resume or quality wins or just games where we looked like we had it all together. Well, that's the thing. It's not just the resume, but I don't think we passed the eye test. No, we definitely didn't. Um, There were stretches where we passed it with flying colors. Uh, Parts of the game against North Carolina, we looked fantastic. Um, Pieces of the game against Syracuse, we looked great. But as a whole throughout the season, we just, we didn't have it. Yeah, and really that's um, really paints the picture of the entire season is that we didn't we or we we played either down or up to the quality of the competition. Mm-hmm. There were no big blowouts for the most part. You had the one against Pitt, um, but otherwise, you know, we played really close games against bad teams. Miami being one of those, and then we played really close games against good teams such as. You know, Louisville and North Carolina. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's not that we haven't seen that before with Clemson basketball, but again, we, we just had high hopes coming into the season, considering how well we played last year and who we had coming back on this team. At the end of the day, Clemson Tigers lose in the second round of the NIT, and we move on to next season. Um, so, Sam, before we wrap up the season recap here, let's hand out some season awards. Um, start with the MVP of the team. Who do you have? Uh, I think there's really only two people you could even consider for this, but there's one guy that I think deserves it without a doubt. And that's gotta be Marquise Reed. Yeah, I totally agree. Led the team in points per game at 19.4. So, I mean, have a guy for Clemson scoring nearly 20 points a game. 
Also led the team in assist and steals and free throw percentage. He was second on the team in rebounds per game at 5.8 a game. So just an incredible season for Marquise Reed. He had a little bit of a lull there after the injury, but he really came on strong at the end of the year. I know his shooting percentage wasn't what we hoped it would be. There was some inefficient scoring just uh, when comparing his makes versus the amount of shots that he took. But I put that less on him and more on uh, the people around him. Absolutely. Not, you know, not allowing some of that, um, the pressure on him to be relieved by focusing on some of the other guys. Yep. When you're, when you're taking shots that you're creating all the time, the efficiency is not going to be there. You know, he, he didn't have anybody setting him up for wide open threes every game. Uh, he was taking a lot of mid range pull-ups and trying to create his own shots driving to the rim. So, uh, he had an incredible season, um, was definitely, I think the MVP for us. How about most improved? Uh, most improved. Uh, I, I had a little trouble with this one uh, because there were a lot of players that we kind of hoped would show improvement and that had flashes during the season. Uh, but I ended up going with David Scara. His shooting was nicely improved. His defense kept us in games by shutting down a bunch of really good wing players on every team that we faced. And, uh, you know, the the improvement in his offensive side, as well as maintaining that strong defensive um, skill that we that we came to know him for last year was was really impressive. Yeah. And on the offensive side, he had the highest scoring averages of his career, uh, just over seven and a half points a game. As I mentioned, he led the team in three point percentage. He shot forty six point eight percent from the field. So all very solid numbers. And then on the defensive side of the ball. What a lockdown defender. It's a, it's a crime that he wasn't selected on the all ACC defensive team. Um, yeah. And I'll throw out a stat to go with that. That just makes it that much more incredible. Um, how, how well he played defense this year. He only averaged 2.1 fouls a game. Yeah. Guarding the best players in exactly. the country. Um, it was, he was incredible on defense. The fact that Eli made, uh, was it third team? defense in the ACC was great, uh, but he definitely didn't deserve the spot over David Scarra. No, I, again, I think that was criminal. Um, all right, uh, moving on now, breakout player of the year. Pass. <laughs> so I, I agree with you that that was a tough one because there wasn't anybody who really that we didn't know about before breakout. I filled this slot in with Elijah Thomas, and let me tell you why. He consistently improved each year of his career. He led the team in field goal percentage this year at almost 64%, led the team in rebounds. He was the second leading scorer at 13, point, at 13 points a game. He's a great defender over two blocks a game. Granted, his foul trouble uh, was his biggest weakness, and he never really shook that. But if I had to put somebody in this spot, it's Eli, just because we saw consistent improvement over the three years he was at Clemson. I think that's fair. Um, I. I legitimately wrote down pass, uh, but I think this, I think your points are totally valid. Eli had a great season. Um, he's the only other person that you could even put in the conversation for the MVP of the team. Um, but we knew that coming into the year, right? So for me, breakout is somebody who uh, we didn't get a contrib contribution from last year that was significant, who turned into an everyday player that was really helping the team win. Yeah, and you can't really get Sims that nod because exactly. though he did have better numbers than he did last year, he was expected to. Yeah, and it was really so just much. 
an improvement based on minutes, not in right. an, an improvement in skill. Um, and so a breakout player is really what we needed this season. And I think the reason that we ended up the way that we did is, is we didn't have anybody break out. None of the freshmen showed themselves to be ready to handle heavy minutes uh, or, you know, play point guard or do any of the stuff that would have helped this team kind of get over the hump. Amir Sims always shows flashes. Uh, hopefully he can be that breakout player next year and, and really come into his own. Um, but he just, I can't, I can't in good conscience, give him that, that award based on his performance this season. Fair enough. Um, the last two may not be any easier, maybe sixth <laughs> man, just as obvious because of the lack of guys who actually played on the team this year. But uh, who do you fill in that slot? Yeah, I think six man is is Clyde Trapp by default. He's the only bench player that that contributed anything strong. Only, we only played six guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, Javen White's your or you're one of the freshmen are really your only other choices, and none of them did anything noteworthy. Uh, Clyde did show improvement this year. He he played a lot more point guard than he did last year, and has shown improvement. But it's almost by default that he gets that six man of the year. Yeah, uh, he averaged. Uh, he was the leading scorer off the bench at six points a game, which is honestly quite laughable. Um, that we were so shallow in depth that six points is your your leading scorer off the bench. Shot thirty point six percent from three, which isn't great. We hope to see an improvement on that next year. He did average twenty four minutes a game, so again, uh, I still think he should have seen more minutes with uh, Shelton. The knowledge of Shelton Mitchell's injury. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I guess you can't justify starting him over Mitchell Mitchell being the senior and Clyde trap, not being exactly a spectacular player by any stretch of the imagination, but that's the hand we're dealt. And so that's who we fill in there. And then finally we'll wrap up with best freshman. Um, I don't know, flip a coin. Yeah, I'm, I went with Newman. Yeah, Um, I did too. uh, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. It's obviously it's, it's him or uh, Tyson Hunter. Um, neither of them played a ton of minutes. John played a little bit more. He was a better defender. Uh, neither one shot particularly well, although John from the field was, was sick, significantly better overall shooting 39% from the field compared to, um, Hunter Tyson's 25%. Um, so I went with Newman, but it's not a strong argument. Okay, you said it both ways. I had to double check here. It it's is Hunter, Hunter Tyson. Hunter Tyson. <laughs> it's funny. I'm I'm looking at um, it's Sports it's, Reference, and it's wrong backwards. on Sports Reference. Yeah, oh, gotcha. Which is going to be even more confusing next year because we've got an incoming fresh, freshman named Chase Hunter, whose last name is actually Hunter. Uh, so that could be fun next year for us. Well, we'll uh, cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, <laughs> but I totally agree on John Newman. Uh, Two point one points a game led the rookies. Average 12 minutes a game, uh, which was by uh, by four minutes a game the most. Hunter Tyson, uh, yeah, I added my runner-up to just over a point and a half per game. He showed flashes, um, yeah. but still just needs to get broken in. Um, so that wraps it up for our season of awards. Um, very anticlimactic given the results of the season and really just kind of the tenor of the season and how it went. Um, but there you have it. So... Moving on here, Sam, I think this is going to be the big uh, hot button issue. Let's talk about the future of Brad Brunell. Okay, much to many people's chagrin, Brad Brunell is still with the program. Um, And honestly, 
my take on things right now, we'll kind of let's give our opinion of what we think should happen based on Brad Brownell's resume at Clemson. But I think the way I see things moving forward, my gut tells me that he will be back next year because if he's not, then that means that D-Rad was putting a lot of emphasis on Clemson winning the NIT for Brad Brownell to keep his job. And I don't think that's the case. I think you come out of not making the NCAA tournament and you've already made your decision. Either you're ready to let him go, in which case you do it then before the NIT because um, look at these other teams out there, Auburn or, or sorry, Alabama already getting the coach from Buffalo. Um, you know, guys Coward are going to go quick. Mark Fox. Yeah, so guys are going to go quick. So I, I don't think if you've already made your decision to let him go that you don't let him ride out the NIT and see where they go because then what happens if they win it all? You're still going to fire him? Um, so personally, I think that decision is, is already been made. Um, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're probably right about the fact that we're going to stick with him at least another year. Um, the more interesting discussion is, should we? Um, yeah, exactly. And I've, I've been very pro Brownell over the last couple of years saying it's too premature several years ago, or, you know, it doesn't make sense with the money when they restructured his contract the first time, or he did a lot with the team last year. He looked great, right? We got to the sweet 16. He took a team that was dealing with the loss of its best player or who we thought was the best player at the time. Um, Not only that. Like it was, it was a great performance last year. Not only that, but the, Two of the guys that were the leaders of that team last year, and a big reason why we made it into the Sweet 16 were uh, Gabe DeVoe and Dante Grantham. And yep. granted, I know uh, Grantham was down halfway through ACC play, but those are guys that Brad Brown developed over their four years Home at Clemson. four-year seniors, absolutely. Right. And the other impact guys were guys he brought in via transfer. Yep. Um, so if you're going to knock him for the pitfalls in Clemson basketball, you have to give him credit for the success. Absolutely. I think uh, if you did a pros and cons list for Brownell, uh, the first thing that you would put on the pros side of things would be his his prowess in the transfer market. He's been great at picking up impact transfers. Shelton Mitchell, Marquise Reed, Eli Thomas, David Scara, uh, guys coming in next year, Jonathan Bear, Mark Donnell. These are all guys that heavily contributed to our program over the last few years or will in the next couple of years. Um and he showed the willingness to think outside the box and Absolutely. switch his strategy, which, you know, he didn't have to. He wasn't like the kids he was coaching at mid-majors were those transfers. Absolutely. Right? So he's he's shown a propensity to find good, strong transfers, whether it be uh, senior grad transfers or guys who have a couple years of eligibility left uh, like Eli. But, uh, you know. That's that's the highest point on the positive side of things. So I want to um, more acutely frame this discussion. Um, and first, let me give you the rundown of his resume here at Clemson. Over nine years, he has a 571 winning percentage overall, uh, which for Clemson basketball, I mean, that's, you know, ain't bad. Good. Good. Um, a 481 percentage uh, in the ACC, which is not great. Two NCAA tournament appearances. We, of course, would have hoped for more. Three NIT appearances. Um, he's finished 500 or better in the conference six out of his nine seasons, which is it's not a bad stat in and of itself, uh, especially for Clemson basketball. Now, this is the argument that I'm going to make, is that you've got to throw away his first three seasons when factoring this in. 
Um, the reason being is that his first year, he coached OP's players in his first year. Mm-hmm. That is the simple matter of fact there. You got to give credit uh, a bit to OP and his players that he brought in, and those guys still continuing to play at the same level and making the NCAA tournament that, that year. Yep. That being said, Oliver Purnell left nothing, absolutely nothing in the coffers for Brad Brunell. There was the, the entire program was essentially gutted when OP left overnight, uh, not to mention that Clemson – was not putting money into their facilities at this point. So there you've got no players um, and facilities are some of the worst in the ACC. Now, after those first three seasons, you start to see a turnaround. Clemson starts to make a commitment into putting money uh, into the program. Brunel shifts his strategy for bringing guys in uh, to include bringing more transfers. So then you're really starting with that 2013-14 season on. And since then, he has a 590 overall winning percentage and a 500 winning percentage in the ACC. If you compare that to what Rick Barnes did in his four years here, um, Rick Barnes had a 607 winning percentage, so a 17-point difference there, which is not that huge of a difference. He actually had a 438 winning percentage in ACC play compared to Brownell's 500 winning percentage. If you look at OP, OP with a 605 winning percentage, same as Rick Barnes, a 446 winning percentage in ACC play, all that in seven years. So when you look since the 2013-14 season, there's an argument to be made that numbers-wise, Brad Bell now was better. Okay. Um, I'll take that, and I'll give you all the points that you just made. Um, But here's the thing that I have come to realize about Brad Bownell and why my stance on him has shifted. I did some digging about a month ago on his winning percentage. So you just went through his 57% uh, for his career at, um, at Clemson, but in games decided by three points or fewer. Now that does not include overtime games that end up getting decided by more. So just final score within three points. Take a guess what his winning percentage is in those games, given the fact that you know he was 57% overall as the coach at Clemson. 20. 31.6%. You overcorrected because you knew it was bad. Um, <laughs> but hey, 30, that, 31% that, that's, in that's games. That's a touch better than Shelton Mitchell's three-point percentage. Exactly, and that's not good. Uh, so just for reference, to put it a little in a little bit better context for you, 57% overall for Brownell, 63% in games decided by four points or more, 31.5% in games decided by three or fewer. Oliver Purnell, in his time at Clemson, like you mentioned, 61% overall. Uh, he was 21. Oh, so the number of games there for uh, Brownell, 18 and 39 in one in one possession games. Purnell, 21 and 18 in those one possession games. That's 54%. So still under his overall winning percentage. Um, but not by a whole lot. And to give kind of a similar team, um, Mark Fox at Georgia, who was there for about five seasons, uh, went 33 and 26 in one possession games overall, 55.9% versus his 55.1% as the coach of Georgia overall. So So, similar program, heavy, heavy football school with an okay basketball program in a good conference, right? So what all of that says is that in games that are close and come down to the wire, Brownell's teams don't win. And that comes down to coaching. And that is why I don't think we can continue to stick with him because if this program is ever going to have success, we need someone who can 
game plan and make calls at the end of games that are going to help us win games. And he is clearly not doing a good job of that. Yeah, but at what point does it come down to the players to actually execute? You know, uh, Marquise Reed and Shelton Mitchell go combined 0 for 6 from the free throw line. Clyde Trapp uh, can't get a, a foul uh, in the NC State game. Uh, Shelton Mitchell doesn't get a foul call at the end of the North Carolina game. Um, so, Ben, those those are good questions. And I think that if it were something that was happening once every 10 times we had a close game, it'd be one thing. But if it's happening every time, it's on the coaches. It's a lack of preparation. It's a lack of teaching uh, or it's bad recruiting, right? If the players just can't do it, they can't do it. And I don't think that's the case. I think we have the talent. He has a 57% winning percentage as the coach at Clemson overall. Um, we have good talent, right? We're beating other teams. The only place that he's really, really poor uh, record-wise is in those close games. I would like to see how that breaks down if he threw out those first three seasons that I talked about um, and compared it just to the last six years when he's had more success. I'm sure last year, and I think a big difference last year and why we probably didn't play a lot of close games is because for the first time, and my God, I can't remember when, Clemson would actually get big leads on teams and then hold big leads on teams and not let them come back. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the difference last year. Um, Granted, I'll give you the other points. So that's why it's tough. I mean, look, over those last six seasons, I mean, we threw out his one NCAA appearance with with OP's guys, but in that 2013-14 season, I would argue that Clemson got screwed out of attorney birth that year. So you switch those out, give him another, in my opinion. He's averaged 19.7 wins a year over the past six seasons, which, again, sorry, guys, this is Clemson basketball. It ain't football. Um, but I'll, I'll give you those points, and I'll give you the lack of, of meaningful postseason experiences as a reason to go the other way. Uh, just for reference, I'm looking at it now. Uh, he was 0-4 in 2011 with that first squad. Uh, and it looks like he was one and maybe six, two and six, three and six. Uh, yeah, I think four and six in 2012. So still well under uh, his overall percentage in those in his tenure at Clemson, but higher than his win percentage overall in those close games. And that's just the first two years. But uh, there's no there's no improvement in that area either. Well, we'll see what happens. Ultimately, that's going to be up to DRAD uh, to decide whenever they meet here in the next few days to discuss the direction of the basketball program. Again, in my opinion, I think the decision would have already been made uh, or had already been made. And if the decision was to fire him, that would have already happened. But we'll see. Now, looking ahead to the uh, 2019-20 season, um, if Brownell does return, Let's look at who he may have back. Obviously, Reed, Thomas, Mitchell, Scar, White, and Lyles Davis, you know, the real catalyst there is gone. Uh, key returns, we have Amir Sims, who we will expect much bigger things out of than mm-hmm. we got from him this year. Clyde Trapp, we'd love to see improvement. Malik William would hopefully be back. And then John Newman, Hunter Tyson, and Trey Jimison all got some decent minutes this year for freshmen, so look for them to build upon that. Now, it's really the newcomers where we have to look at. So really, I want to look at the guys coming in next year, um, and I think one of the big reasons for Javen White ultimately deciding to leave, which I was surprised he had another year of eligibility, being a fifth-year grad transfer, senior, whatever. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Bear, the transfer from Charlotte, 6'10", 240. UNC Asheville. Yeah. UNC Asheville, same place. Um, <laughs> close enough. Uh, 6'10", forward, 214 pounds. 
this is a guy that folks legitimately believe could play in the NBA. Yep, he's got the he's got the talent, he's got the size. Uh he's going to need to step up and be huge for us next year. I mean that both physically and on the court. Um Yeah, I think you're looking at Jonathan Bear and Trey Jemison being your one-two punch down low. Yep. Uh it's actually it's interesting. So this year uh, our bigs were were very thin, right? We had Eli Thomas, who was great. Uh, when he was in foul trouble, it went to Javen White. And beyond that, we really didn't have anyone. Eli uh, was thin for about half the season. Well, foul trouble really was what kept him right. out of games, right? Uh, beyond Javen White, our only other big was uh, Trey Jemison. And Amir Sims played some power forward and center at times because we didn't have anyone else. If you look at the roster for next year, assuming Malik William comes back healthy, uh, Jemison makes an improvement and Jonathan Bear plays. We've got some actual real depth uh, with adding in Sims to that as well, right? Uh, Hunter Tyson is a taller guy who could also fill in at some four at times probably next year. Um, but we've got guys that are big and mobile and should be able to, to get up and down the court and defend the rim at the same time. So the the front court depth next year is going to actually look pretty good. Yeah, and that's why I think that the Javen White loss isn't huge, although he played decent this year, and having a guy like that who has apparently been in college for seven years um, would have made a big difference. Um, so, But let's look at the guard position because that's where we're really going to be hurting. We only are going to return at guard uh, Clyde Trapp and – and John Newman. Um, and John Newman. Yeah. And that's essentially it. So you've got four-star guard Chase Hunter coming in, three-star guard Alamir Dawes, and three-star guard Alex Hemingway. Do you expect any of those guys to make an immediate impact? Uh, they don't really have a choice. If if this team's going to be any good, uh, hey, one's they're going to have star. to make that's, an impact. Yeah, Dawes, Dawes is the four-star according to two, um, like 247 Sports. Basketball. He's the, since at least 2004, He's the ninth best recruit overall rating wise that we've had at Clemson. Um, not all those guys ended up turning into anything. The highest one on that list, just for your reference, is Milton Jennings. Uh, so <clears throat> there's there's not much there, right? But he's one of the best recruits that we've ever pulled, at least in the last ten to fifteen years. And um, as far as rating goes. So Alamir Dawes is gonna be the guy that's gonna have to step up. He is a lefty. Really good shooter, um, scored a bunch of points in high school, continues to do so, or can you continue to through the end of his season? I don't know if he's still going. Uh, the other two guys, Chase Hunter and Alex Hemingway, are going to probably be more like uh, John Newman and Hunter Tyson this year, where they may play some spot minutes and they may contribute at times if one of the two of them could turn into something. Chase Hunter is actually a pretty good recruit as well. Uh, number seven in the state. So Rivals um, actually had him as the four star and Dawes as a three. So I think Dawes and Hunter are the two that are, are probably going to have yeah. to contribute. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at 247. They've got him as a three, but the ratings are not that far off between gotcha. him and Dawes. Um, so it depends on who you ask. But I think both of them should help provide some actual decent depth at guard. Uh, it's just, it's really unproven, right? We we don't know what John Newman's going to turn into. We know more or less what Clyde Trap is, but if he can make a jump next year, uh, he could be a really strong starting guard for us. And it'll be interesting to see who who ends up taking the the lead role as our point guard, uh, because Clyde Trap is not a point guard by nature. No. He's really more of a slasher turns and it over scorer, too much. and he turns it over too much. He's not a distributor. Uh, 
Alamir Dawes is definitely not that distributor guy either. At least he hasn't been in high school. Uh, Chase Hunter might be that guy. It would be really interesting if we could get a starting freshman point guard uh, who could grow with the program. That would be pretty cool. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting because none of these guys, including the returners in in Trap and Newman, are proven proven quantities. Yeah, so that's where I think, I mean, Brad Brennell, if he stays on, is really going to need to look to the transfer market this year to bring on an experienced um, grad transfer. And one guy that I've got penciled in is Alabama's uh, Dazon Ingram. He's a 6'5", uh, he's a 6'5 guard. He's transferring out of that program. He'll be uh, immediately eligible to play. He averaged 7.1 points per game for them this year to go along with almost four rebounds a game and 2.6 assists. He actually started as a freshman, but got injured seven games in, was out for the year. And for his entire career, he's averaged 9.1 points a game. So this was actually a dip this year. He saw a little bit less playing time in starters minutes, but that's an intriguing prospect. Yeah, um, there's there's definitely a bunch of guys on the transfer market who we're, we're going to be looking at, right? Uh, one that I would kind of be interested in is Jalen Fisher uh, from TCU. He's a 6'2 guard. He carried them uh, in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago when they played. Um, and he's a good scorer, but he's also a really good distributor. So that would be kind of interesting. Uh, another guy from your all, your other alma mater would be Charlie Moore from Kansas. Um, Never heard so of him. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of good guys out there that we could potentially bring in. Um, we'll see. We'll see where it ends up. Well, and so that wraps it. Um, we'll see what happens with Brad Brownell. I think that's uh, between that and uh, whomever we could get on the transfer market are kind of the big two question marks heading into next year at this point. Um, barring some drama surrounding the Brownell situation or Clemson getting some type of transfer that's a program changer, which I doubt will happen, we likely will not be back with you until November of next year to, to pick up on the 2019-2020 season. So with that, we tie a bow on a very disappointing year for Clemson men's basketball. Congratulations to the women. They made the NCAA tournament. Got a win um, in the NCAA tournament. Did they win a game? Yeah, they won their first game and then got destroyed by Mississippi State, but they, they won their they first won game. game. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. watch them next year. Um, okay, that wraps it for basketball. Let's uh, end the show on a little baseball. Last time we checked in with the baseball team was about 13 games ago. They've gone 10 and three in that time span. Uh, they currently sit at 22 and six on the year, nine and three in the ACC. They've moved back up into all the different polls, sitting in kind of the 20 range, and then one poll has them at like 14 or something. I really don't get college baseball polls too many of them, and they're yeah. not very consistent. Uh, the Tigers are tied second with Louisville in the Atlantic behind NC State, which is really a uh, the Atlantic is a strong division this year. Um, and as I mentioned last time we checked in, it was right after they had swept North Carolina home. So since then, the Tigers pick up a good win uh, on the road at Coastal Carolina. They're a highly ranked baseball team, obviously just a couple years removed from winning it all. Uh, then there was kind of the head-scratcher, 2-1 to series loss at home to Notre Dame. Really some sloppy play throughout this series. Um, the Clemson, Matt Clark picked up the, the win in the second game, but it was bookended by... Um, two losses there, um, sloppy fielding, bullpen struggles in the first game, and then uh, 
Keyshawn Ashkew pitching well in the last game, but more sloppy fielding. Clemson had six errors on the weekend. That's not really indicative of, I think, the sloppy play, maybe not indicative of, the, of who this team is. It's indicative of a young team, um, but the errors have been an issue. Um, so then we go 2-0 in the midweek series uh, sweep in a home-and-home with the College of Charleston. Um, and then... In Massachusetts, we get a two-to-one series victory there, losing the last game. Probably should have won that last game against Boston College. Maybe a little bit of lack of focus, couldn't get the bats going, and that's more indicative of a young team as well. Um, Davis Sharp continued to pitch well in that series. Um, Keyshawn asked you got the loss in that last game, although it was another quality start by him, albeit wasted. Uh, we then move on to win a mid midweek game at home against Charlotte. And then finally, ending with a series sweep at Virginia Tech this weekend, which was good to see. Um, the Tigers' bats really came alive. They won the first game 6-4. to four. David Sharp went six innings, giving up one run. Uh, Grayson Bird had a great game, going through for three with three runs, scored a home run and two RBIs. He ended up being player of the week in the ACC this past week. Uh, the second game, just a blowout 14-1. to one. Matt Clark, another great uh, uh, pitching performance, going six, giving up one. Bird had another good game. And finally, um, Keyshawn asked you to get some runner support in the last game, but he can't get out of the third inning. The bullpen was also shaking, but the bats were more than enough for, for Clemson to pull that one out 12 to nine as they uh, pounded out 13 hits in that game. Uh, the uh, positive sign over the weekend there was the Tigers jumped out to early leads in all games and they were able to hang on. Uh, so as I mentioned, 10 and three over that 13 game stretch. And this is a very young team who it seems like it may be starting to click and the lineup is coming together in addition to some really good starting pitching. Yeah, the starting pitching especially has been spectacular. You already mentioned Sharp, Clark, and Askew, um, but Davis Sharp is 4-1 and one on the season. He picked up that fourth win in, in the win over Virginia Tech uh, this last weekend. And he's got a 159 ERA with 50 strikeouts to only 14 walks. He's got 50 strikeouts in 39 innings pitched. He's just mowing people down left and right. Yeah, 187 um, batting average against, so he's untouchable. He's been, he's been spectacular. Uh, that 187 average is only very slightly better than Matt Clark's 191. Right. Uh, Clark's 6-0 on the season. He has not lost a game. He's got a 214 ERA and uh, only seven walks in 33 innings pitched. So he's really controlling the ball well and putting it where he needs to. Not a ton of strikeouts comparatively to David Sharp, but 29 to 7 strikeout to walk ratio is pretty darn good as well. Yeah, and you follow that with Keyshawn Ask, you who has a 309 ERA again. As I mentioned, he's faced some tough luck, but you take that from those three starters, especially with two of them being true freshmen. Um, the team ERA is 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 3.33, which is fantastic. The weekend starters ERA is 2.22. They are 12 and 2 with a 222 ERA. I will take that all year. Uh, if we can keep that up, we are going to be really strong. Obviously, uh, the bats are, are very capable. We scored uh, how many runs against Virginia Tech this weekend? I don't uh, 32. know. 32. 32 runs in three games against them. So uh, if you're getting you know eight, nine runs a game and giving up three or four, you're going to win all of those games. Um, so the pitching has just been incredible, and the batting is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, and so now you got a guy who was a, a, a key performer last year as a weekend starter for Clemson. Brooks Crawford has now moved into a midweek starter role along with Jackson Lindley. 
And that's no small task considering that we actually have a lot of tough midweek games on the schedule this year between the Coastal Carolinas and the Georgias um, and, and the other teams we play. So, um, yeah, across the board, the pitching staff has done, the starters have done uh, pretty well, very well, especially the weekend starters. Out of the bullpen, uh, Carson Spires has been nearly unhittable. He has a 102 ERA. Holt Jones, Sam Weatherly, Owen Griffith have all thrown well. Marin Hennessy has struggled a little bit, both with ERAs over five and a half. Um, so you expect a little bit more out of veteran guys there. But overall, just really solid numbers. Uh, as a team, a, th- a three to one strikeout to walk ratio. And again, they're so young. Um, this pitching staff is a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. So if they can hold up throughout the course of the year and we're, you know, we're not seeing any reason not to, to, to think they, they wouldn't. Won't. Yeah. In young guys, you never know, but so far, so good for this pitching staff. Yeah, um, the pitching staff's been great. Uh, we mentioned Sharp already, obviously, uh, but he's also one of the standouts behind the, or at the plate. Yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. He's hitting 320 on the year. Uh, he's not hitting as many home runs as it looked like he would the first couple games of the season. He got two really quickly, and he's still sitting at two home runs on the season. Um, but he's been fantastic as well. Uh, other guys that we've already mentioned, uh, Grayson Bird, Logan Davidson, Sam Hall, Kyle Wilkie, all hitting over 300. There's one guy that you didn't mention yet, and that's Briar Hawkins, who's hitting 338 uh, with a 473 slugging. He's been fantastic and somebody that we didn't necessarily expect. Yeah, he's been terrific. Yeah, so just to go back and, 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 and on Davis Sharp real quick, I would like to point out that um, if I'm doing this math correctly, his as a pitcher, he's a pitcher and he's a true freshman. His batting average is 161 points higher than his ERA. That's pretty incredible. That's yep. That's, that's good. Thinking. That's good. No matter how you frame it, right? Either he's got a crappy ERA and he's hitting perfectly or he's good at both, which is the current situation, right? Turns out he's good at both. And um, I can't, help but think of Seth Beer and the impact that he had as a freshman. Now I know it can compare him to fresh beer or Seth Beer's freshman year. Uh, he was the, the national player of the year, uh, but Davis Sharp is doing it at the plate and on the mound. Um, he is uh, currently the Babe Ruth of Clemson baseball. Yeah. Um, it's, he's a lot of fun to watch. He does it all. Um, yeah. Um, well, so overall, the team's batting 276 on the year. Solid lineup, as I mentioned, is coming together. They're averaging over eight runs a game. They're 53 of 65 on stolen base attempts this year. So you combine getting on base with all those steals, and the guys are producing a lot of runs. Um, some other guys we should touch on. Grayson Bird has been raking after a slow start. I mentioned that he won ACC Player of the Week honors. Um, his 327 average is uh, third on the team uh, among guys that qualify with a number of bats. He's not hitting for a ton of power, but he's not striking out much. And for all the people who were kind of on him at the beginning of the year because he got off to a slow start, this is baseball, and this is why you don't um, you don't get down on players after a few games. It takes a while for hitters to catch up to the pitching, and Grayson Bird has done that by a long shot. Um, Logan Davidson, like the fact that it's taken us so long to talk about him tells you how good this lineup has been. He's bounced back from a slow start and has his average over 300. He's been hitting well lately. Um, another recent addition, uh, to the lineup, uh, Bo Machkowski, he's hitting 333 with a 500 on base percentage and 48 at bats. Yeah. Um, 
he's he's one of the many guys who've had a bunch of doubles this season. Uh, we've got 58 doubles in, I think, 26 or 28 games uh, so far this year, 28 games. So we're hitting two more than two doubles a game right now. Um, we're not seeing as many home runs as we were to start the season, like I mentioned. Uh, just 33 so far. Still not a bad number. Uh, Bryce Teodosio has eight so far this year. Logan Davidson's got seven. Um, those guys are are far and away the two big ones for home runs so far. Um, and T- Teodosio's down there hitting out of the seven and eight slot. Yeah, because he's kind of swinging away, just hitting for power. Um, but it's well, working. He's got a two fifty five average, which for a sophomore who hit in the hundreds last year is not too shabby. Yep, and his on base is over three hundred. His slugging is over five fifty. He's got a lot of strikeouts, which when you're swinging for power and not much else, that's going to happen. It's tied um, for the team lead in RBIs with Davidson with twenty seven. He's been extremely effective. Um, and so, you know, we've got a lot of guys that are finding their niche at the plate, right? Is it Teodosio hitting for power? Is it guys like, uh, Davidson and Sharp who kind of do it all? Is it Grayson Bird figuring out how to hit, um, you know, for power or, and, and getting on base a lot. He's he's just, he's just really doing everything now. Uh, Hawkins leading the team in average. There's everybody's doing their own thing. Yeah, and then you look at a guy like Sam Hall in the leadoff spot. He's been solid there this year. You know, last year the leadoff spot was just kind of a revolving door. He's locked that down. And then Kyle Wilkie is picked up where he's left off from last year. Um, and then finally, uh, Keir Meredith, unfortunately, another injury. Looked like he pulled a quad or something a couple series ago. Um, but he's played well in limited playing time. So up and down this lineup, just so far so good for this baseball team. And you combine that with a phenomenal pitching and this team could go far this year. Um, lastly for the hitters, uh, the Chad Ferry hit watch continues. He's up to 20 at bats on the year, still waiting on his first hit. It's pretty much the only thing I tune in for every he, game. Is he has scored three runs though. He's got six walks, you know, and he looks good at the plate. He's, um, he's a guy who's got no hits and he's got a two fifty nine on base percentage. So he's doing something right. Something not much, but something. Um, Fielding-wise, a different story. Started off the season playing pretty decently, but a 965 feeding, fielding percentage now is uh, um, well down. Pretty low. Um, yeah. And again, I mentioned not done well at all lately, like a handful of games with multiple errors. A couple veteran guys in Davidson and Bird are scuffling a little bit, especially Bird who commits an error about once every three games. Uh, Sam yep. Hall also Wilkin, has... Wilkin, Wilkie too. Yeah, so it's really the infielder. Sam Hall's had his uh, share of mistakes as well, um, but their bats are making up for it. Yeah, uh, it's working. Whatever they're doing, it's working. Um, the pitching staff's been great. Keyshawn Askew is the only pitcher who's really kind of struggled fielding the ball. He's got a couple of errors um, and one of the lower fielding percentages in a limited number of attempts, to be fair. Um but, you know, if they keep pitching like they've been, they don't give a lot of chances for error. So, um, you know, well, if you get easy pop-outs and strikeouts, it's good. Well, in Lee and C's philosophy, we mentioned this over and over again, is to pitch to contact. So there's going to be a lot of balls put on the ground. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities for the infielders. Um, you know, with um, uh, outside of Davis Sharp, who's mowing people down, not a lot of high strikeout guys on this team this year. Um, but you know, that leads to some of the errors, but again, overall, you can't argue with the results. This baseball team is playing really well right now. Um, looking ahead, Georgia will visit for the weekend game this week. Then the Tigers are off to, uh, or 
will be back at home hosting a very good Louisville team for the weekend series. Louisville's a top 10, top five team right now in the country. I have to look at the latest um, uh, poll results. Uh, then, then there's a trip to Tallahassee the following weekend and a game at Georgia uh, during the week. So um, some tougher competition coming up for the Clemson Tigers as we start to get into the meat of the ACC schedule. This is a good young team, as they've proven to be so far. If they continue to develop and don't hit a wall, they could be pretty special, Omaha special. But it's too early to know that right now. I'm saying yeah. it's a possibility, not that it's going to happen. We have to see how the, se- the season plays out as we get into mid and to late April to really see how this young team is going to respond. Um, again, as the, the the length of the season starts to take its toll and as our other teams start getting some scouting reports on them. Yeah, I think the Louisville series this weekend should be a good test for this team. They're, they're 17th in Baseball America um, as of the last update. So they're kind of middle of the the top 25 um but a very strong team they're 22 and 6 overall like you mentioned earlier tied with us 9 and 3 in the ACC um second behind NC State in the Atlantic and uh they just came off a, a series sweep against Wake Forest um so it'll be interesting this weekend to see how we do against another strong ACC team we're going to get more chances to do that going forward uh we play Florida State in a couple weeks um and then have obviously the rest of the season to go, but that's some series against Duke and Georgia tech, both good baseball teams this year. So this team is going to be tested and we're going to see what they're made of. And that's uh, uh, pretty exciting. So we'll keep following Lee and the boys, see if they continue to stay hot. In addition, as I mentioned, we've got the spring game coming up here this weekend. We will be back with a full recap on that, give you our thoughts and takeaways from that game. And as always, feel free to reach out to us at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us an iTunes review. We've had some reviews on Podbean. I'm still trying to figure out how to get onto that platform and respond to you guys. But, uh, you know, technology is not our thing here. Okay, once again, we appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. And until next time, and as always, go Tigers. Um, so appreciate everybody listening. We'll so appreciate everybody. Li- <laughs> you thought about your intro, but not about your outro. So once again, appreciate everybody uh, tuning in and listening. We'll be back. At, uh, <laughs> oh, good stuff. You, you got it. Just leave it this way. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, once again, we appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. And until next time, and as always, go Tigers. See, it's not that hard. You did it. You just say go Tigers and just cut it. <laughs>